Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, as we've sung before, that you are a God of love and you're rich in mercy. And Lord, you are a God who forgives. And Lord, now as we come before your word, we just pray that you would bless our time. And Lord, we've come together as a, a family, as a, a congregation of believers, as a church. And we, we recognize there's some in our family that have had a, a rough week. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for your grace in their life. I think of uh, one of our ABC uh, students, Anthony, who's lost his mother. And uh, he is now, he is going down to, to preach that to memorial service. What a difficult time. I pray for him today, Lord, as he's going to uh, give the hardest message of his life, probably. But Lord, he wanted to do it because he knew the gospel would be proclaimed if he did it. Lord, I, I just thank you for that courage of that young man. I think I thank you for working in L.A.'s life. And Lord, just thank you for your your healing him and bringing him to the point that using the doctors to bring him to the point that he is uh, uh, that he is healthier and he is he is doing well. And Lord, we just thank you for that. For for Micah that was up here earlier with the cancer. And Lord, you're so gracious, so gracious to us, and so kind. Lord, there's many in our congregation have hurt this week. And Lord, as we come around your word, may we be, may we be encouraged. May we be uh, strengthened. May we uh, be edified and, and grow spiritually that we face this new week with renewed energy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. And as it is written, fear not, daughters of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And these things his disciples did not understand at first. But when, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him. And that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason, also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, sometimes... Um, Sometimes our actions don't match our words. That's, uh, there might be several reasons for that, but our actions don't match our words. Sometimes we say one thing and we do another thing. Uh, and it's confusing sometimes, especially with our kids, and it's maybe hard to understand. Sometimes it's out of just hypocrisy. It, we're just hypocrites. I heard a commercial yesterday, it was on the radio, and it was from the government... 
Um, and uh, this commercial was encouraging the people to save our money and to uh, spend less. And I just thought, wow, the government is uh, paying. And I'm just thinking, that's a little confusing to me. They're saying one thing and doing another. Just a little confusing. Maybe it's just my simple mind. I don't figure these things out sometimes. But sometimes we undermine what we say by what we do. And we have to be very careful about that. If I'm a pastor, no, even if I'm not a pastor, (laughs) I say I love my wife... I've got to show there's got to be some indications that I actually love my wife, right? That just makes sense. I, if I'm not spending time with her and I don't show her affection, I don't help her out, I don't uh, do the things that I need to do, you have to write, you have the right to question, does he really love his wife or not? There's got to be some indications there. If I say, well, I love my family... And I don't spend any time with my kids. I don't really care for them. And I neglect them. I don't discipline them. You have a right to say, hey, do you really love your family? Is it a high priority for you? You could say the same thing about your country. If you say, well, I love my country, but you're just always disobeying the laws. You're not paying your taxes. You say, well, I don't know if I love my country or not. But even as kids or teenagers, they say, well, I love my parents. But... In reality, they love their parents. They, they're going to obey their parents and not disobey their parents. They're not going to... There's certain things they're going to do and not do. They're going to listen to their parents, not to sneer or mock or those kinds of things. There's certain behaviors that line up with what we claim. Now, we can say, well, I love my church. But in reality, if I'm not attending, if I don't give regularly to my church, if I'm not involved in my church, then I have a right to say, hey, do you really love your church? Our actions have to line up with what we say. The two have to be in in line. Now, sometimes it's just a matter of ignorance. It's just a matter of ignorance. For example, if I, if I say, well... Um, uh, I love my church, but I've got to learn how to express that love and show that love, and I, I make the two line up. Sometimes it's just a matter of ignorance. Now, uh, Benjamin Franklin said, being ignorant is not so much a shame as being unwilling to learn. So if you're willing to learn and you, you line things up, then that's a good thing. Um, Thomas Jefferson, he kind of said it like this. He said, uh, 5% of the people think... 10% of the people think they think, and 85% of the people would rather die than think. And I'll let you think about where, you, where category you fit into that. Sometimes we don't like to think, but the reality is we have to line our actions up with our words. It's what we need to do. And our church needs to be priority. We have to line those things up and we say, yeah, I do. Now, what do I need to do to express that? And how can I actually show that love? If I'm a, if I, early on in my marriage, um, I had to learn these things. I, I didn't have a lot of the communication skills that I needed to have for that deep of a relationship. Um, and I had to learn to, to be a, a, a good husband. Communication skills, relational skills, and those kinds of things. And, and uh, uh, I wanted to learn them. 
And, um, and the Lord put me basically in seminary to teach me these things, to make sure I say I love my wife, I'm going to line up my love for my wife with what I actually do. Sometimes it's a matter of ignorance. I have to come to understand what, uh, how I'm coming across and have to learn to adjust these things. So you can see, you can kind of see what I'm talking about. Now let's just take that one step further. Let's say in my marriage, I go to this conference and one weekend, man, they just teach me all kinds of stuff and I learn and I, I grow and I say, man, I love my wife. And they give me this big book. And I put this, all the answers, and I, I learn all these things, I get this book, I put this book over here, and um, the marriage, I come home, and man, things are going great, but after a while, things begin to, to go south, and things are not so good. In fact, they, they get so bad, I, I wind up getting a divorce, and now the responsibility still lies in my court, because I can always go to that book, and I can say, hey, what did it say? I can't remember. So I go to the book and I find out the answers and I correct the things that need to be corrected. But if I don't, if I neglect that book and my marriage winds up in divorce, then who's at fault? I'm at fault. Because I have a responsibility to go and find out the answers, right? We understand that. We have a, a, a accountability for what we know, but not only that... We have accountability for the information around us. For example, let me try to give you another example of this. Uh, sometimes we go on trips. Now, inevitably, we get in the car. I mean, you know how trips are, especially if you've got five kids and, you know, you're just trying to herd everybody into the car. Just get out of here. Get out of town, you know. And you just, you're just get it. And you get halfway or you get out of town. And, and my wife looks over and, did you get directions? It's like, no, no, I didn't get directions. But I've, I've, I, I know the general direction that we're going. I mean, we're headed south, right? You know, we've got that. Now, I have a responsibility. Now, I, I mean, I have the, but I have a responsibility to go get the directions or find a GPS or get the address or, you know, MapQuest or Google or something. There's so many places that you can get the information. I have a responsibility to get that information. So I'm to blame. And this has happened more than once, I tell you. So I know. And I can't claim ignorance of those things. Now that's what's going on in this passage. That's what's going on. Israel cannot claim ignorance here. They know they have the information needed to make this decision that they're making. And, and yet we find that uh, there's some, some terrible things wrong here. It's a straightforward passage. It's simple enough. Jesus is just going into Jerusalem and something incredible happens. These people, these crowd, they come. And what's happening in Jerusalem is the... the um, the Passover, and there's thousands of people going into Jerusalem, and uh, some are already there. They were there sometimes a month early, but they say that there's there could be over two million people in just this little city alone during the Passover season. They can calculate those things, and. Um, 
And if you look, or if the Romans, let's just say the, the Romans were looking at this. Let's see these Roman soldiers. See Christ coming down the road. and They see this crowd, this large crowd coming from Jerusalem down. And they meet in the middle and they, they're just all praising Christ. The, the Roman soldiers would say, man, they really like this guy. They really love this guy. But yet, a week later, or less than a week later, what? They're ready to kill him. Ready to kill this guy. And so it's seeing, sending mixed signals. The real indication, the real indication of do they have this high view of Christ or they have this high view of God is how do they treat God's word? That's a better indication than what you see right here. Because right here, you've got a fickled mob. And they're pretty excited. They're pretty excited. But spiritually, they're not ready to handle their Messiah visiting. They're not ready to handle their Messiah. They've got, their view of God is not as high as it should be. And you can see that by the way they handled or mishandled the Word of God. And this passage kind of indicates how they've neglected that. They just did not know. Now, they can't just claim ignorance like the disciples. They can't just claim ignorance and the disciples can't. Because they got the information there. And you would think that someone would look at the Old Testament and say, Hey, what does the Messiah look like? What is He going to do? What's He going to be like when He comes? And then look at Jesus' life and pull the two together. They have the information. They have the Old Testament right there. But they don't seem to pull it together. Something's not right. Something doesn't quite mesh. Now here's what I want you to see. You're... Your view of God is reflected in the way you handle Scripture. That really is one of the best ways to tell if a person has a high view of God. If I get up here as a pastor and I preach this word, but I never open this book, then I don't have a really a high view of God. I have a, a high view of my own opinion. But if I have a high view of God, it's going to be reflected on the way I, the way I preach. Because it's going to come from God's Word. You see the... See the difference. And the question we'll just ask is, how can we treat the Word of God in such a way that it reflects a high view of God? Because we want to we do that. If we claim to have a high view of God, we want that reflected in the way that we handle His Word. Because I, I, that's exactly what I see in this passage. I mean, there's some pretty emotional things and pretty good things that, that boy, look good on the outside, but frankly... They're not so good. Now, all four Gospels have the account of Jesus' Jesus's triumphal entry. I'm not sure that you can claim it that, claim that, a triumphal entry. But the, all four passages uh, have this account of Jesus going into Jerusalem. And this is the last uh, week of Jesus' life. He's going, to, he's going to die. He is going to be that Passover lamb. So all four Gospels give this account, but they emphasize different things. And, and I think if we pull them all together, we might get a, a richer picture of what's going on here, a fuller picture. Now, in Matthew, Matthew 21, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus sends two of uh, the disciples out to get uh, a donkey and its colt. 
And this is, they're, they're just leaving Bethany. They're going to Jerusalem. They get outside of Bethany and they, he uh, sees this crowd and he says, go get this colt. And the disciples do. And he says, now if anybody asks, just, just tell them uh, that the master has need of it. And that's exactly what happened. And they brought this colt. So we, uh, we see where the colt come from, from Matthew. And then we, we have Mark. And Mark, uh, says that, hey, they laid out their coats for Jesus. Not just palm branches, but they laid their coats for Jesus on the road. I do want you to turn to Luke. Luke tells us some things that I think that are kind of essential to really really understand this and what see the fuller picture here. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I'm going to just begin reading in verse 38. Shouting, and you'll you'll see where we're picking up here. Shouting, blessed is the king. Now that seems to be an emphasized word in all of these passages who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to his or said to him teacher rebuke your disciples and Jesus answered I love this I, I tell you that if these become silent the stones will cry out Jesus will be he will be exalted He will be praised. This is His time going into Jerusalem, presenting Himself as the Messiah. Even if the Messiah, even if the, uh, uh, the rest of the world does not recognize it, there's some that recognize it. They get the crowd enthusiastic and they're crying out. And Jesus is going to accept their praise, their worship, because He is God. He is the Messiah to, to come. And he's presenting himself to, to Israel in this way. And uh, this, is a, this is a big deal. Now, of course, the Pharisees, they kind of squelch this. They don't want king of Israel. What's going to happen if the Romans hear this? They're going to come down and squash this. They're not going to let this take place. So, but and he goes on, verse 41. And this is so... So interesting. You got Jesus. He's on this donkey. He's riding into Jerusalem. He comes up over the crest of the hill. He sees Jerusalem in the, in the distance. All these people, thousands of people saying, Hosanna, praise the Lord. Glory to God. And then he says this, and this is what Luke tells us. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept. It looked like things were going well. Why in the world would he be weeping? Why would he cry over this? He says he weeped over it. That's the city. Saying, if you had known, if you had known in this day, there was a lack of information here. It was an ignorance problem. If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, that God was reconciling the world to himself, making peace there, But now, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Listen, they rejected the prophets. They rejected the Old Testament. They rejected God's word so long that there's a time it says, now they have been hidden from your eyes. They're just, they're blind to it now. They don't even see it. Now again, Take a look at from the Romans' perspective. The Roman soldiers, they see these, these people. They do this every year. There's thousands of them. Millions of them come into the city. They, they are the loyalest people ever. 
Even on Saturdays, they come and they listen to the Word. They listen to it. And you'd think that these were religious people. You would think that they would have a high view of God. But they really don't. They have an ignorance problem. They don't know the Word. You say, well, yeah, they do know the Word. Man, they've missed it. They've missed it. And look at the end of that, uh, verse 44. This little section, it says, and Jesus goes on and pronounces, uh, here's what's going to happen to you. There's going to be a judgment on on Jerusalem. But he he says, and they will not leave uh, in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You didn't see it. You missed it. And you can't claim ignorance. Now, there might be some hypocrisy on the, on the, on some's part, but the majority, they can't claim ignorance because they should have known. They should have known, but you know what? They didn't handle the Word of God as carefully, as closely as they should have. As they should have. They neglected the Word. And they had rejected the prophets and so much. They rejected the Word. When it come time to really needing it, when it come time to really uh, having an impact in their life, you know, they, they were not ready. They were not ready to, to receive their Messiah. They were ignorant and it turns to, to blindness. God says, you want to treat my Word that way? Alright, that's fine. You're going to be blind to the truth. Folks, this is the most embarrassing thing. They, they make the, the decision based upon ignorance. Things that they should have known and they crucified their own Messiah. The one that they were waiting on for years, for decades. And they missed it when the time came. Some in Jerusalem, I think, knew and they, they prepared themselves and they followed Christ. I think some knew and, and rejected and tried to crucify Him and kill Him. And I think the majority of the mob, man, they just didn't. You know, they're just there. They, they would rather die than think. Seems to be the way it is. They seem to be blind. Now what can we learn in the next few minutes here? What can we learn? Well, you have the crowd. Turn back over to uh, John. John chapter 12. You have the crowd and you have the disciples and you have the, the Pharisees. Just three little pockets just for our, uh, just to help us move our thoughts along. L- look at the crowd. Verse 12. On the next day, now John is slowing time down. He has given us from chapters 1 to 11, he has uh, given us three and a half years of Jesus' life. And he did it really fast paced. But this, he is now slowing time way down. And he's giving just the last week of Christ's existence here on earth. The last week of Christ, before Christ's death. He says the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, that was the Passover. So they were already at the feast. They were already at the Passover. When they heard that Jesus was coming, and, and they probably heard the mob. They probably heard the crowd. And they heard that Jesus was coming. And they, they took branches and they, of the palm trees and they went out and they met Him. And they began to shout, Hosanna! Hosanna! Now that sounds, sounds wonderful. Now, I think we misunderstand this this word hosanna. I think the the crowd misunderstood too. In fact, here's what we'll here's what we'll learn. I think it's on the screen there. The first thing, let me just say, here you have the crowd. 
Here's what we can learn. Not knowing God's word causes us to misinterpret, misinterpret what God is doing. Sometimes I believe we just misinterpret this word here as well. Hosanna. You think it means praise God, praise the Lord. Hosanna. But that's not what this means. Hosanna means save now. It's a, it's a prayer. Save me, I pray. It's a plea for help. Save us, please. That's, that's the idea. They actually get this. If you turn over to Psalm, well, you don't have to turn, but Psalm chapter 118. Psalm 118. Let me just read you the verse that they get this from. Psalm 118. This is, this was a, uh, a psalm that, uh, they would sing, uh, in a conquest. When the king was riding in and he had conquered, they would be singing this psalm. And Psalm uh, 118, verse 25 says, O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. That do save, that's our term, Hosanna. They just, they want relief from their burden. They want, they want to be uh, relieved from, um, from this Roman oppression. And they believe that the Messiah was going to come in and he was going to overturn Rome and he was going to, uh, he was going to bring some victory here and relieve their suffering. They, they were looking for a political ruler, a political Messiah. They were looking for a king. But Jesus didn't come for that reason this time. Now, He will come, and He's going to be a conquering king, and, and He will set up His rule, but this time, and they missed it. I think they could have seen it in the Old Testament, but they missed it. He didn't come for that this time. He came to what? Seek and to save that which was lost. He came to, he came to die. But they weren't expecting a, a, a suffering savior. They're expecting a conquering king. Someone that would come in with authority, when command respect from these Romans that were disrespecting God's people and just kind of clean house. And they were going to be, the, the Jews were going to be rulers again and they were going to be on top of the world. And they misunderstood what God was doing. Romans chapter 10 tells us, uh, here's what Paul says. Uh, Romans chapter 10, 1, 1 to 2. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is Israel, is that they be, that they be saved that for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. They have this high view of God and they, they want to attain it, but not according to knowledge not according to knowledge. I mean, they're excited. They're excited for the wrong reason. They're missing it. They don't have the, they don't have the right view of their Messiah at this time. Now, how can we apply this? What can we do with this to, with our lives? They simply mishandled scripture. And, and, uh, time after time, decade after decade, and they had, uh, come up with a theology, a, a, a whole mindset that just was wrong, was wrong. And instead of letting Scripture interpret their world around them, other things interpreted, their own heart interpreted what they wanted, and uh, 
And here they are. Scripture was not interpreting their lives. Scripture can do that. It tells us what to think, how to think appropriately, how what God is doing so that we don't misunderstand what God is doing. And so when we, when we read Scripture, we handle scare, Scripture carefully, and we can interpret our world around us in the proper way. We can know what God is doing. If we don't, culture is just going to influence the way we interpret our lives. Dr. Phil, Oprah, Disney. Those things are just going to influence us and those things are going to decide. We must handle God's word carefully. Now let me show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus gives us just a startling, a shocking statement here. And it's in the context of his temptation. But Matthew chapter 4 verse 4, he says, But... He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now live. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This word is special. Every word, yes, every word. Every word is important. We have to carefully handle this word Carefully handle this word. And it will give us light. It will give us light for our past, the psalmist said. And it will train us in righteousness, Paul said. But we have to handle it carefully. Sometimes I think we, we just, we, we get our, we get the big picture. We get the big picture and we kind of make sense in our mind and, and then we just stop right there. Every word. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This word is important. We, we dare not mishandle it. We dare not think some parts are not important. The word steps in and he interjects into our lives and says, you know what, serving others, that's important. Well, no, wait, that's not what the culture says. Trials are good things. Well, wait a second, no, no. When we read Scripture, it informs us the way God thinks and so we don't misunderstand the world around us. He teaches us how to love. He is the example and the epitome of love. I just think we have to be very careful in handling this Word. That's why I get up and I, I move through this. I try to move through slowly. These passages, because every word is important. I could move much slower, but you would be, it would be really hard on you. You guys are so patient and so kind. Let's look at one more thing. Back to John chapter 12, and we'll just hit these quickly. Verse 16, these things the disciples did not understand at first. The disciples didn't get it either until after Jesus was glorified. The Holy Spirit comes down, He reminds them of these things, and they say, Oh yeah, now I get the whole thing what can we learn from this not knowing god's word causes us to miss out on god's work listen god is at work and so often we just miss out on what god is is doing because we don't know scripture well enough let me try to help you to understand that um jeremiah jeremiah let me just read one verse Jeremiah chapter 15, he, he got it. He understood this. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. says, Your word 
Your words were found and I ate them. I digested them. I put them into me. And your words became for me a joy and a delight to my heart for I have been called by your name. Listen, he knew that before. But when he found the word, when he digested the word, when he took it in, then everything was a joy because he saw what God was doing. And he was able to interpret his world around us from a biblical God's perspective. And he says, man, this is great. There's a, it was a joy and a delight because I saw what God had called me to. I think if we just know the big picture and we just stay with the big picture there, we miss out on the joy. We miss what God is doing. Even in our own life, we, we just go about our lives as, as, and just the physical realm and, and we miss out the, the whole spiritual element of what God is doing and what goes out. The, the joy and the delight in our lives. So when we, we have fellowship, but our fellowship is just kind of superficial. Our fellowship doesn't have the joy that it should have. Our church, well, we just, it just becomes routine. It just becomes what we do. But when we understand things from God's perspective, when we're reading and saturating ourselves from God's Word, it's a joy. We begin to realize, man, this is life. This is what God has called us to. The disciples, they, they just missed it. You know, it was a good thing going on there. There were some complicated things. And man, the disciples just, man, I don't know. They thought they were going up to die, remember? They were saying, oh, let's go up with him. We'll just get killed with him. And all of a sudden, all these people are just praising the Lord and just, you know, let's make him king. And it looked, at least from the outside, looked like things were good. And to the disciples, their ministry hadn't been any better. I mean, this is great. But they were really kind of missing it, just with, just like everybody else. They're kind of missing it. Sometimes I believe we just live in this physical world because we don't saturate ourselves with this word or we do it superficially. We have ideas in our own heads and it kind of makes sense to us. So don't don't mess me up with the details of individual passages of Scripture. But we miss out on the joy of what God is doing, the joy, even the joy of what God is doing in our own lives. Let's look at the Pharisees. Just quickly, verse 19, and we'll, we'll move on. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are doing no good. Uh, you are not doing any good. Look at the, the world has gone after him. Now, of course, they misunderstood, haven't they? They then have to change the crowd's mindset. Um, they're opposing God. They're on the wrong side of this whole thing. Now, they have rejected God's word, even though they say they hold to it. They held to more of the rabbinic teaching than to God's word more than anything else. And they were on the wrong side. They were actually fighting against God. They were not prepared for Satan's influence, were they? Listen, I I think we can learn something from that. If we are not saturating ourselves with this word... And it's not the light of our life, the delight of our life, the love of our life. And we're just, we're just opening ourselves up for satanic influence. That just, we're just along with the ride, with the mob. We can just, Satan could just turn us whichever way he wants to turn us. We have to be careful. 
with the way we handle Scripture. Let me just try to apply it and we'll, we'll draw it to a close. We need to read it daily, don't we? Every day we need to read it, not superficially, not till oh, I, I get these warm, fuzzy feelings. No, we need to read it for understanding. What are you saying here? What are you saying here, God? What's the author's intent? God being the author, what are you saying in this passage? What is the warnings that you have? What are the, what are the promises that you have? What are the commands that you have for me today from this passage? We have to read it carefully. But, we, but it, if we don't read it, it's not, it doesn't become a part of us. So we have to read it daily. It's a daily routine. It has to become a habit of our lives. We read for understanding. We read for knowledge. Not to just feel good. Not to just uh, feel a little convicted and then, then go on our way and not do anything about it. But this is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. If we are not careful, we can open ourselves up to satanic influence. And like these, we could be on the wrong side of the issue. We can be fighting against God. That was what Paul was doing, wasn't he? Fighting against God. And he says, Lord, who are you? I don't even know. And he knew the Scriptures. He thought he did. We tend to be that way, don't we? We, we tend to, to, to kind of think we know it. We, we've got this figured out. We, we've got this religious thing. We know when to go to church and we know what to do at church. And, and uh, we read our Bible occasionally and, and, uh, and it makes us feel good. And we've got it all figured out. Don't mess me up with uh, passages of Scripture. Don't mess me up with the details. It just confuses me. Every word, every word is what we live on. God's Word, it's important to us. It has to be important to us. Listen, it reflects the way we think about God. If I have a low view of God, I'm not going to handle His Word very carefully. But if I really love God, I'm going to say, man, this Word is special. This word is, is dynamic. It is, it is a part of my life and I digest it and I read it and it becomes, becomes who I am. I become what it wants. I become what he wants. That changes my life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the patience of these people. Oh Lord, I thank you for this word. Father, help us to not be caught up in the same just routine, week in, week out, of uh, listening to the Word, but never applying it, not really, not really thinking about it, not really digesting it, not really having it part of our lives. This is kind of superficially, Father. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to miss what You are doing in our lives. We don't want to miss what You're doing in our, our community, in our church, and the lives around us. And Father, we, we certainly don't want to be opposing You on things. Lord, help us. Father, Your Word is, is so good, so precious. We thank You for it. Help us, to, help us to respond appropriately to this message. Help us to think about this. In some way, build into our lives 
the importance of this word that it becomes so much more important than just food or riches or, or anything else. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.